you look around this morning, you see those that seem to be asleep, just let them sleep. Many of them were here till very late last night, turning this room around for uh, from Unite to where we are today. So if you see things kind of out of place in your connect room or in here in the room, stuff on the floor, give us a break this morning. Uh, 400 teenagers can leave a trashy mess. But anyway, <laughs> they did their best to try to clean everything up, but we do thank you for being here this morning. Isn't it awesome? 18 teenagers gave their life to Jesus Christ. Y'all, that's, that's right. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. And what I love about our church is we're not only seeing this, people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior through our mission endeavors overseas, we're seeing it right here in the county. And that's what it's all about. And then we, I, I couldn't help but think as, as I was listening to that, what also was going on yesterday. Yesterday, uh, David Mellon, uh, a dear, dear member of our church family here, uh, passed away on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, he gave his life to the Lord. Listen to this. When he was almost 70 years old. Yeah, just years ago, just several years ago, this church prayed for him over 40 years for him to come to know Jesus. And so yesterday when we had his memorial service, it was not only a time for grief, it was also a time of celebration, of answered prayer of how God moved in his heart. And I'm telling you, when you see life change like it took place in David, you're seeing what transformation is really all about. And we as a church family got to watch that take place in his life. And Miss Brenda buried her husband yesterday, and she's right here worshiping the Lord today. And I'm telling you, that's what it's all about. We appreciate her and what she means to our church family. Well, today I want to start a new series, Reviving the Wounded Heart. Many have asked in the midst of their pain and when it comes to relationships, how do I respond when I've been hurt? Where's God when I hurt? Why did God allow me to be hurt? Is it possible to truly forgive when I've been hurt? so badly. And so we're going to be looking into these type of questions over the next several weeks, but we also want to look at some other questions that hopefully we can answer. Why bitterness is so destructive? What happens when we don't forgive? And can God really work through my pain and suffering and hurt? Can he really do that? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And, and this sermon series will have four parts but what I want to begin with to lay the foundation for this series is I want to take a moment here to really just talk about the people who hurt. The people who hurt. We all have them in our lives. Matter of fact, we have actually been the person who hurt. We've all been there. It's, it seems like it's everywhere. If I were to ask for a show of hands of those who have been hurt in some way, some fashion, this past week, I guarantee you every hand would go up. If I were to ask how many of you this week hurt someone, you probably would have to admit in some way, some fashion, yes, you did some hurt to someone this week. But I want us to look at what it really entails. So look at the introduction this morning. Hurt is hurt. How many of you agree with that? Hurt is hurt. But its impact and depth are determined by the closeness of the relationship with the offender. And, and y'all, we see that everywhere. We see the pain that many of us deal with. I mean, let's just face it. Someone uh, that you barely know, they may hurt you, they may offend you, but nothing like those that it seems that God has placed in your life. 
Here's a definition. Hurt is an offense taken as a perceived injustice by the attitude or actions of those a person holds in high regard. And so as we kick off this series, I want to introduce you to three groups of people. And I've shared this with you in the past. And so some of you may remember this, but this is where we have to start this series. There are three types of people in our lives. First of all, there's what we call scenery people. And most of the people in this room are probably scenery people to you this morning. And so just wave around the room and say, hey, scenery people. I mean, they are. That's right. They're, they're scenery people. These people are those who are just there. These people are like the scenery which we see but are rarely impacted by. They're the people we walk past each day. Those we wait in line with. Those we see, as we said, across the room. Those we pass on the road. And many of them are in the left lane driving very slowly. And so as we go by them... Those are those people. Another group of people in our lives are service people. Those we serve and those who serve us. And it's more of a detached relationship. It could be the people you work indirectly with. The customer you help on the job. Maybe a teacher. The officer who pulls you over when you're speeding past the person who's going slow in the left lane. I mean, am I getting your point across? You see, I have found out from this perspective, talking to people every week, and sometimes I get a chance to talk to hundreds of people, I'm, clear, I'm doing my part to clear up the left lane, okay? So, so I just want you to know that. Anyway, I'll move on. I, I got a grudge there. That's definitely true. But anyway, uh, third group of people. Special people, those who are bond, we are bonded with and care for. Those are the pe- these are the people that we're most have the most intimate relationships with. These are those we love, those we trust, those we have a high expectation of, those we would say we have a history with, those we may even put on a pedestal at times, and so. When it comes to understanding exactly who they are, I want you to imagine sitting in a restaurant. The people in the restaurant around you, they're the scenery people. The waiter is a service person. You have somewhat of a relationship with them, at least for a time. And the person you went to the restaurant with is normally the special people in your life. My question to you this morning is this. Who is most likely to hurt you the deepest? It's the person you're sitting there with, the special people in our lives. Who are some of these people in our lives? First of all, there's that group we would say are confiding friends. The people outside of your family could be people you do life with. These you tell your deepest secrets to. They know you best. Then maybe misunderstanding competition and jealousy begins to creep into the relationship, which leads to deep-seated hurts and and possibly betrayal. And from this place, you find hurt in a place you never expected nor ever imagined. Y'all, we've all been there. We've all been there. We may have been the friend who hurt the friend, or we may be the one who's been hurt by the friend. The point is, it cuts deep 
at times. And I guarantee you, every one of, every one of us in this room, if we open our lives up to those that we behold to be special in our lives, we've been hurt by that group of people. And then there's the close family, the parents, those who were entrusted by God to raise you, to provide for you, to protect you. But instead, maybe this relationship is filled with brokenness, condemnation, dysfunction, and possibly even abuse. Again, these are people that are in your life. These are people that almost have to be in your life. And yet from there, you're told that they're there to protect you and provide for you. And there's all kinds of things that stir in your heart when you think of them because of the hurt they've brought to your life. And then there maybe is your spouse. The person you once stood with at a wedding altar, but behind them, here's what we don't recognize when it comes to us standing at that wedding altar. Did you know that when we stand there before that preacher on that special day, that we're pulling U-Haul trailers behind us? Did you know that? That long train that beautiful bride has, there's a U-Haul trailer up under there. <laughs> and, and you know what we do in marriage? In marriage, here's what we do. We begin to unpack what's in that U-Haul trailer. And you know what? There's a lot in there. There's pain. There's, there's discouragement. There's dysfunction. There's insecurities. And all of a sudden, that one that God's called you to be one with, it's irritating. <laughs> they have hurt you possibly the greatest in ways you never thought you could be hurt. Y'all, we've all been there, haven't we? And then there may be a church fellowship. A place you were told that you can learn more about God's love. A place that would help you heal when you're knocked down by the world. A place that should be filled with people who show the love of God. And you make your way into that setting. I want you to look around this morning. And, and, and here's the question I have for you. Do you know the people around you? What, what is the experience of those who visit our church? Would they say they sense the love of Jesus in our fellowship? Do they feel welcome? You see, we need to realize that people who visit with us, many are coming from different needs in their lives. There's many, and they, they bring these needs. They have these needs. Some are looking for answers in this confusing world. And thank goodness we had someone bold enough the last three weeks to talk about some of that confusion and bring us God's word. Some are rebuilding their lives, looking for a fresh start. Some have been hurt by a church and are attempting to rebuild trust within a church family. That's those that are sitting around. You say, how can you be so sure of that? I've heard the stories. And more recently have heard the stories. The pain that comes from a place you don't expect. You see, over the years here at PCC, we have literally had pastors who've come here to heal. I've met them. And they've come here, and they were here for a season. And part of that season was for them to, to trust, once again, a church family, to, to see how God could use them in a way. And, and for some of them, they came here for a while, and then they went back out, and they started serving again. And praise God, he used us in that capacity. What, what a privilege it is to be able to do that. 
And then there's those who have, who have attended uh, our church, and, and, and there's some, and, and I've recently uncovered some of these stories, and some of you are sitting in this room, where you've been a part of a church all your life until recently, and something happened that set you back. Something happened that was painful, that hurt to the very core of where you are, again, in a place you never expected. You see, we as a church, we're called to help bring healing to those who are hurting. We're called to help revive the wounded heart. And, and, and we know that because of what Jesus once said. Look at, look at Luke chapter 14, verse 8 here on the screen. Jesus once said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Boy, that verse is loaded. It's loaded. I believe when Jesus left, he entrusted the church to carry out this very ministry that he had when he walked the face of the earth. And what's interesting is how does a church pull that off? What does that even look like? Well, based on what we read in the first, about the first century church, there was one word that describes that first century church. It wasn't a perfect church. I'm sure there was pain in those churches at times, hurt. But there's one word that you read, especially about the Acts chapter 2 church, and it's that word we, we have, the Greek word koinonia. And the word koinonia really comes from two words. It comes from sharing and fellowship. Sharing and fellowship. Did you know that when we come together as a church, we're sharing? Did you know that? We're sharing the truth. That's one of my roles in your life. But we're here, and we talk about it all the time. We're doing life together. We're sharing with one another. We're sharing how God has moved in our lives. We're here to encourage one another and all that. So when you begin to think of that, there's three truths about Koinonia. This is not on your outline. But I want you to think about what this really means and what we are to be. Church fellowship, first of all, includes all believers. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We, 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 we're not here to make distinctions. We're not here to, to discriminate. We come under the heading not of our race, by what we identify with, we come under the heading of what Jesus has done in our lives as baptized believers in Jesus. That's who we're called to be. Secondly, church fellowship holds believers together. It promotes unity even in the midst of diversity. Here's a question for you. Can you agree to disagree? We can do that. I see it all the time. There's times in my life I have to agree to disagree. You know how? You know why? Because I'm married. <laughs> I want you to think about your marriage right now. I want you to think, who has to agree to disagree the most? <laughs> I gave you something to fight about this afternoon, didn't I? <laughs> but the point I want to try to make here is that really it is possible to agree to disagree without hurting someone. The problem is so many times in our lives, there's other things that weigh in on that, that we allow in that cause pain and suffering and hurt, whether we're talking about a spouse or we're talking about children or we're talking about in the confines of church, but it's all there. Thirdly, 
koinonia means Christian fellowship. It means sharing. It means meeting the needs of others. And the only way we can pull that off is by being transparent with one another and vulnerable with one another. I'm here to tell you, if you haven't found this out about our church, this is a very transparent church. This is a church that doesn't mind revealing its vulnerabilities. Because, listen, we know, just to let you, we know we're messed up. We, we know we are. We talk about it around here occasionally. And, and the thing is, what we need to understand is even through the pain, we are called to share our lives. Even through the pains of this life, we're called to be there for one another. And so the three groups, the scenery people, the service people, the special people in our lives, here's what you got to understand about them. They, are, they have dysfunctional upbringings. How many of you agree with that? How many, did you know every one of you were raised in a dysfunctional family? Yep, you were, okay? Uh, we're all born in sin. Our parents are sinful. We're sinful. Everyone who walked the face of the earth after Adam and Eve come, sinful. So we all have that as a background. We all have insecurities. You say, I don't have an insecurity. Yeah, you do. It's there. It may not reveal itself much, but it's there. We have pains and hurts. How many of you understand that hurting people hurt people? They do. They do. Those who are living in confusion and despair. Have you ever bumped into them before? That can be a nightmare. Those who are deceived or believe in lies instead of truth. And then those, and guess who else we're bumping into when it comes to these groups of people? We're bumping into people who have a flesh that's bent towards sin. So how the Bible describes us. We see all this. And what really sets it apart is the fact that's a description that could be said of all of us. And you put that into the reality in which we live, we even live in a fallen world. We should be shocked when there's any health around. <laughs> and the problem is we don't know how to deal with the pain of all that. You see, we're bumping into them, but these people are bumping into us with our own dysfunctional upbringing, our own insecurities, our own pain and hurt, our own confusion and despair, our own deception about the lies that we believe about ourselves, and the fact that we're also bent towards sin. potential for all of us to experience hurt and disappointment is certain in this world. It's certain. Which leads us to this. Where is the root of the pain? Where's the root of the pain? We, we know the people we bump into. We know what we have. We know what's in here, what it's capable of doing to hurt. But what is actually the root of it all? I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be looking at a story found in Genesis chapter 30, uh, 37. It's one of betrayal, hurt, disappointment, displacement, and even rejection. The story surrounds, many of you know this character, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Joseph of the Old Testament. He's the favored son of Jacob. And some of you may say, did, did, did you kind of put that together to come to that conclusion? No, his father said it. <laughs> That's where the dysfunction begins, really. And so he's the favored son of Jacob, and he was born into a very dysfunctional family. 
And yet he's this glimmer of hope that hangs out there of those who are born into hurt, those who are born into a dysfunction. In Joseph's story, we find all the emotions and feelings that surrounds a wounded heart. And so what I want us to do is I want us to once again look, what are the roots to your pain? What are the potential places your hurt comes from? The first one I want us to look at this morning is, is the wounds of unmet needs. The wounds of unmet needs. Now, I could spend all day just on this one subject. But the two basic needs that we have, every human being has, psychologists agree with this, the Word of God seems to speak to this, are a place to belong and a sense of purpose. That is one thing that we strive for. That's one thing that is basic amongst all of us. And when these things are not being met, it can lead to a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Now, in Genesis chapter 37, I want you to, let's begin the story in verse 3. Now, Israel, this is actually a guy by the name of Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age. Now, how many of you can already see a problem developing? Okay, if you know anything about the story, he has, uh, at this time, ten other brothers. Okay, and guess what the Bible says about what his father thinks? He was the prized son. Okay, it goes on and says, he, and he also made him a coat of many colors. Now, are you picking up on who this guy is? You remember the Sunday school story? Okay, and so all of a sudden, his father's not only seeing him as favored, he's giving him gifts and showing it and demonstrating it. Wow. Verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now what are we reading here? We're reading about the seedbed of betrayal. We're reading about the seedbed of hurt. We're reading the seed I mean we're reading all kinds of things into this. It's there. From this part of Joseph's story, we find the need to belong is far removed. His father may be there. His father may be doing this. But his father's not doing him any favors by what he did. But the thing you need to understand is all of a sudden, because of this hatred his brothers have for him, it is a path to his own displacement. It's a path where he will no longer feel he belongs. And soon after this, his sense of purpose will be severely crippled. And so if you were to say, okay, tell me where hurt can stem from in my own life. It's when unmet needs occur, especially those of the deepest kind. Secondly, the wounds of unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. All of us, if we really think about it, we have expectations of people. We have expectations of, of uh, the waiter that, that we're going to sit down and be waited on. We have expectations everywhere we go, in the marriage, when it comes to our families, when it comes to the church, our jobs. We have expectations. Don't you agree with that? And our expectations can bring a lot of hurt. And sometimes those hurts are justified. So, so what are we looking at here? In, in, in verse 5 of Genesis 37, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. Did that help him? It says they hated him even more. 
So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I know the story, and I've always known the story. I think he should have kept his mouth shut, shut to be honest with you. And if you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. But what you're seeing here, I believe, is if you look at it through the lens of Joseph, maybe there's more to it than we think. And so I want you to think about this. He says, here's his dream. There were sheaves, uh, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheave arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheave stood all around and bowed down to my sheave. Are we, are we clearing up dysfunction at this point? No. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So what? They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Now, if you don't know anything about the interpretation that's going to be granted here, the, the sun and the moon is his father and mother, and the eleven stars will be his brothers. Wow. So he told it to his father and his brothers. His father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed bow down to, uh, uh, to, bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, again, I think when we look on the story, we judge Joseph harshly. How many of you do that? Yeah, we, we all have that family member in our family that we think he thinks he's hung the moon, right? Or she, right? But I'm not so sure about this anymore. I wonder if Joseph was looking for help interpreting the dream for the sermon. And you may say, like I do at times, no, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. He's bragging. He's got these things. He's ambitious and all that. But I don't know. Could it be that what he's trying to do is bring up this in a way that they could be sympathetic to him to help him understand what's really going on here? And maybe his expectation of them was that they could give him help interpreting these dreams. However... Their reaction may have caught him off guard and created the hurt of being misunderstood. And some of you may say that, is a, that could be a big stretch. And, it, and maybe it is in some ways. But I believe he had the expectation possibly of looking for help in this matter. And did he get it? He didn't get it. It didn't meet. So when it comes to the wounds of unmet expectations, let me tell you this about them. We could set ourselves up for hurt by having too high of expectations of others. How many of you at times feel like you may have your expectations too high? Yeah, many times we do. Many times when I do marriage counseling or I'm talking to anyone, I, a lot of times the core of what's really going on is sometimes the expectations are just too high. You, you, you're trying to set something way high for someone to try to meet. Now, here's what we need to understand about this. The differences between expectations and reality can be very difficult to deal with and definitely will cause pain in a relationship. They do. I guarantee you there's marriages in this room right now where one has pretty high expectations and yet the other one's living in more of the reality, which is not meeting those expectations. So if you were to say, 
Can we measure hurt? Can we measure disappointment? Many times it's the distance between the expectation and where the reality is. And sometimes we ourselves can be the ones that hurt ourselves with too high of expectations. And so we have to be careful with that in marriage. We also need to do the same thing when it comes to the church. Again, (laughs) we're not perfect people, are we? I know most of you. You're far from it. You know me. I'm far from it. And my potential to hurt you is great. Just like your potential to hurt me is great. And what we must realize is the fact that we have been, the only saving, redeeming thing about us is the fact we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that the Holy Spirit of God now intercedes in our lives and works in our lives in such a way that it can produce great things. It can uh, bring unity within disunity. It can help meet needs in our lives that that, that only He can meet. And we understand that. And we start having a healthy ability to judge what's going on around in our lives. And the Holy Spirit does wonders for the dysfunction in our lives, for the insecurities in our lives. And that's what we need to be paying more attention to in these cases. But guess what? Marriage can hurt. A church can hurt. Next, the wounds of ungratefulness. The wounds of ungratefulness. How many of you have ever done something in your life and you thought, this will get noticed. Boy, this is a good thing. And no one even noticed. can be painful, can't it? It's tough to feel unappreciated. It's tough when you think that, that you've done something. And I know pride could be working in this, but, but it is painful at times. And so in Genesis chapter 37, when you go back to the story in verse 12, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, okay, so Jacob's bringing Joseph in, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? And here it is. Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Joseph is basically getting something from his father. His father said, I would like for you to go check on your brothers. Go check on them. See what's going on. Okay. Joseph says, sure, I'll do that, father. Okay. That's basically what you have here. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring word back to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Skip down to verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him in Dothan. Now, I want you to think about this. Joseph is doing exactly what his father told him to do. How many of you agree with that? It's right there. We see it, right? So he's being obedient to what his father is asking of him. He went to check on what appears to be the well-being of his brothers. So, so I don't know about you, but if I were in Joseph's situation, I would be sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to be obedient to my father. I'm going to do exactly what he says. I'm going to go. Surely my brothers would like to know that my father is, is checking up on them, seeing how they're doing and all this good stuff. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt that that's what it's all about. Well, you'd think this would be a good thing, right? It wasn't, was it? Think about what happens next. But the point is, Joseph is now, and some of you could say he did it to himself. I don't know about that, but he could have. But now he's at a place where he, he thinks it doesn't matter what he does. It's not going to work. It doesn't matter what he does. It seems like hurt is always associated. 
Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever sensed in your life that God called you to do something? You went and you were obedient exactly the way he told you to be obedient, and hurt came from it? You ever been there? That's where Joseph is right now. I don't mean extreme in his case. It's going to be extreme. But we've all been there. We've all been there when we thought our obedience, doing what the Father says and going forth, surely it would be met with great blessing and great reward, and it's far from it. It's persecution. It's pain in ways you never imagined from people you never imagined. And that's what we find here. And that's what we tend to see. But it doesn't end there. The words, the wounds of words, reactions, and or actions. Look at verse 18. Now when they, when they, that's Joseph's brother, saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against to kill him. How many of you would say, man, there's some dysfunction going on here? It is, isn't it? And then they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. A, a translation of that, maybe it's in your translation, could be the master of dreams or sarcastic towards him. Come, therefore, let us, let us uh, now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we will say uh, some beast, while beasts have devoured him, we, we shall see what will become of his dreams then. See, they're mocking him. It's obvious there's a lot of hurt, resentment, jealousy, all kinds of things. Now, skip down to verse 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, his coat, and the coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat, eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. There was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. His brothers not only listened, they considered it and said, This is a great idea. A great idea. Now, I don't know about you, but... What gives you the impression you've been betrayed in your life? Would you think being sold to someone could be a form of betrayal? I, th I, think, I think you could clearly see there's betrayal associated with this. And I'm here to tell you that many people's actions, many people's words, many people's reactions can cause great betrayal in a person's life. To the point, again, from a place you never imagined from people you never imagine. Next, the wounds of grief, the ending of a relationship. And, and here's what I found. In all the years I've been talking to people about hurt, of all the years, there's one thing they don't tend to see in the whole dynamic of their hurt, and it's this right here. In Genesis 20, 37, look at verse 28. Then the Midianite, Midianite traders passed by so the brothers pulled up Joseph and lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Skip down to verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic or the coat in the blood. 
So then they set the coat of many colors. They sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Do you know whether it is your son's coat or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's coat. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Now what can we take from this? Joseph was not only dealing with his hurt and betrayal, but also the grief of a broken relationship. And, and, and of course, we see the father's grief, but so many times we miss our own grief in the midst of our hurt and betrayal. And here's what I'm talking about. How many of you have been hurt in such a way that the friendship was over? The friendship was now over. Now, you feel that you've been unjustly accused or unjustly treated you feel all the things that come with hurt you feel all that but have you ever considered part of the emotions you're dealing with is also grief that the relationship is over that's part of what it is a lot of people don't pick up on that and so what happens so many times is they go through this and the only thing that that they're seeing right off the bat is the fact of the hurt what this person's done the animosity they had towards that person, I'll never forgive you, blah, blah, blah. But what they don't realize is there's a broken relationship that could never be mended for many, and yet there's grief that hangs in the balance. How many of you have ever grieved before outside of what I'm even talking about and know the depths of what that's like? You put the two together. That's the reason our pain and our hurt can be what it is terribly taken to a place that totally stops us in our tracks that everything about who we are is just it just stops i've heard many people say this and psychologists even agree with this and people if you and if you've actually gone through this maybe if you're aware enough of what you're dealing with you see it too did you know they say when someone's been deeply hurt so badly that emotionally they stop growing. Emotionally, they don't mature anymore. They stop. They're hung up. And, and to me, if you're, if you're hung up in one area of your life, it's going to affect every other area of your life. I've seen people who were hung up emotionally and, and, and scared to reach out once again. Listen, that's not just going to affect you emotionally. That will affect you spiritually. And guess what? We're going to see a little bit later in the coming weeks. It'll definitely affect you physically. So when you have one area of where you should be growing that automatically just stops, it affects every area of your life. And that's what I think is going on here. I mean, can you imagine what, what he's feeling here? So, so this part of our hurt, we, we most overlook. The broken, rela- <laughs> the broken relationship can take us down the path and even the process of grief itself. 
And that's the reason I have so many people come back and say, man, this thing is huge. I'm really struggling with this. Well, let's, let's look at the relationship you once had. That's no longer in play anymore. That was something you needed in your life. You put a lot of investment in that relationship. There was a lot going on there. You feel betrayed by it. Guess what? You're not just working through the hurt. You're working through the grief. You're working through the grief. That's the reason it's such a heavy blow. So what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to end it with this. And, and here's where I want us to go with this. The application is the path to heal a wounded heart. And that's what we're going to be looking at the next several weeks. But where do we have to start? First of all, you got to start with who hurt you. Now, you say, that is a dumb question. What do you mean, who hurt me? No, I know a lot of people, and I, and I used to be one of these people. I'm a stuffer. Any stuffers in here, you know what I'm talking about? Something hits my life, I put it down as deep as I can, and I don't want it to come back up. And, and I stuff. And, and I've been doing that since I was a young person. I would stuff. I remember my mother would sit there and try to get me to talk about things in my life. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. What do you feel? I don't feel anything. <laughs> and, and listen, I didn't know it was hurting me. To be honest with you, I didn't understand it in the first place what, I was, what was going on. I didn't realize I was a stuffer. But there's a lot of stuffers in the room. And the reason that, that it's important that we identify who hurt us is because we don't even want to face the hurt. And sometimes the face of hurt loses the face of hurt. You forget it. It's back there. It's stuffed somewhere. So for some of you, you got to unstuff. <laughs> but you know deep down that something's been going on in you for years. It could have been the day that you stuffed it and you stopped growing emotionally. And now it's affecting other areas of your life. Number two, how does it make you feel? Identify the pain. You don't identify the person, you identify the pain. What, what has it generated in you? And this isn't one of these things you're just going to easily go down the list and check off and all that. Some of you, maybe it's right there. You're good at expressing yourself. You just, it's just right there. Maybe you can. But most people, you know what? This is a process to work through. Thirdly, what is your natural inclination? And really what you need to do is identify the lie. L- let me tell you your natural inclination. You want to get them back. They hurt you. You want to get them back. You want to go after them. You wish ill will towards them. That's our natural inclination. Is that a lie? I mean, let me ask you this. Will that really fix anything? If you think it does, you're believing the lie. And then fourthly, what does God's word say? Identify with the truth. And that's primarily where we're going over these next three weeks. I want to close with this. And I'm just going to ask you, just bow your heads. I want to take you through something real quick. Just bow your heads. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I want you to contemplate what I'm saying here. In the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus' baptism. First of all, we have his birth. Then we have his baptism. Then he goes on the Mount of Temptations. And these two things seem to be the things that prepare him for his public ministry. Because as soon as he leaves the Mount of Temptations, 
He goes into his public ministry, and according to the Gospel of Luke, the first time he's really talking to people, his public ministry, he tells them something that was written 600 years ago. And this becomes his mission. And here it is. You've already heard it one time this morning. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Let me give you a little insight in what this word heal actually means. Listen to this. This is beautiful. It means to bring safely through. That's what heal mean, heal mean, healing means, or to heal. To bring safely through. You see, when we encounter hurt, pain, and all these other things that come with it, we, everything just kind of stops. It's like I said. And this idea to heal, what Jesus was saying is, I want to bring you through this. From the point that you stopped, I want to intercede in such a way to help you grow through it, to bring you through it. And that's what his word does for us. It instructs us. It shows us. So he said, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to, to bring safely through the brokenhearted, through the pains and the trials they have, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, why would he say that? If you associate it with what he just said, he's talking about those who are in some type of bondage. Let me tell you something. If you're holding on to your hurt this morning, you may be a stuffer. You may be something who, someone who knows full well of what it all did to you, and you're just holding on to it. The Bible says you're in bondage. You're in bondage. And God has so much more for you than you being in bondage. To the point that he sent Jesus to this world. And this was his mission to see you safely through on the other side. To bring healing in your life. To bring you out of bondage. And then he says, in recovery of sight to the blind. Now, of course, we know Jesus did that physically for people. But there's something about hurt that causes a lot of deception in our lives. There's something about us sitting there and we think we're okay and we think this is all justified in what we feel and do. But we're literally deceived in that. And then he closes that verse or that state or this message with to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I guarantee you in a room this size, there's many people sitting here this morning. You need this message series. Because you've been oppressed and you've been in bondage and you've been hurting for a long time. And you have no clue what to do with it. No clue. And then with this. Our hurts can only truly be healed by the provision of Jesus and salvation. Did, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You got to start there. You got to start there. Because let me just tell you this the healing that we need is supernatural. Because what we want to do when we hurt is fall to the flesh and not heed the words of the Spirit. We want to go after people, we want to hold on, we want to make them suffer. And it just keeps us in bondage. So if you're sitting here today and you say, you know, you know, I really, you're right. I need to deal with this. 
If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't even have a platform to start the process until you do that. Do you know him? Have you turned from your sin? Have you turned by faith to him, to trust him and his word, that he desires the best for you? So just as what Jesus provides is supernatural, the ability to move from our hurt is also supernatural. And it's found in the context of his redemption and how he's brought us through and how he, in the healing he desires, wants to bring us through safely. Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for a Savior. We thank you for a Savior that didn't just save us from our sins and provide us with eternal life, Father. He not only did that, but he also desires that we live a full and meaningful life. Not as the world describes, but as your word describes. That we no longer have to be captive to our hurts, to our pains, to our unforgiveness. That you came to see us safely through to rescue us from ourselves and all the things that we hold on to. Father, be with us over these next three weeks. Show us your will, your way. Bring healing. Bring freedom in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for being here this morning. I hope you'll go with us on this journey for these next three weeks. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here.